Welcome to the Driftless Makers podcast, coming to you from the Platteville Business Incubator. I'm your host, Kate Koziel, Executive Director at the Incubator and Recovering Entrepreneur. The podcast features interviews with business owners from across Southwest Wisconsin, sharing their hacks and backstories on their road to success. You'll also hear from area experts on legal, financial, and other business operation experts to learn how to avoid the pitfalls and navigate the peaks of running your own business. The Driftless Makers podcast, bringing you the hacks, horror stories, and humor of running your own business. Welcome to the Driftless Makers podcast. I'm Kate Koziel, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Kyle Vesperman from Vesperman Farms, just outside of Lancaster, Wisconsin. Good afternoon, Kyle. Tell me a little bit about your world. Uh, well, I run uh, Vesperman Farms. Depending on what you know of us, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We started as a pumpkin patch and then added a corn maze. Seven years ago, we built an event barn uh, and then started offering food and things like that. And then after we built that event barn, people then started asking about hosting weddings. So we host quite a few weddings throughout the years. And then the kitchen also gave us an ability to expand our uh, offerings of what we offer, not only during fall season, but then in 2019, we started uh, playing around with uh, making ice cream. And so now we make ice cream in the kitchen on some of our days off, or I guess they're no longer our days off. They're our ice cream days. And we take that ice cream and we sell it not only during our fall season, but we also have um, two ice cream trucks that uh, sort of crisscross the uh, southwest Wisconsin, northwest Illinois, northeastern Iowa area uh, throughout the summer, visiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of locations between May and June, July and, and August. Anyone who's not been out there, it's a beautiful setting. The event barn is gorgeous. There's just one fun thing after another. It's it's sort of a, a full season of, of fun on Vesperman Farms. Yep, yep. Lots of thousands and thousands of families make their trek to our farm every fall to... Uh, to go out and do the corn maze and visit the animals. And of course, over the years, we've added more and more activities and and, and there's the pumpkin patch and, and the food and the donuts and the caramel apples. And so there's a lot of families that turn it into a, a yearly fall uh, fall retreat, uh, an afternoon of fall fun. I mean, we'll have families that'll spend hours and hours out there and and that's what we've tried to build and grow. And and so, yeah, and that's exactly what what happens out there. So tell me a little bit about this, Kyle. So your family has been on the farm. I believe you're a century farm. Is that correct? Uh, yes. My family has owned the farm since 1900, and I am the fifth generation to manage and, and own the farm. But for most all those years, we were just traditional. I mean, obviously, when you start out, what farms used to be was you had, you know, a little bit of everything and we had horses and cattle and chickens and one of the old barns used to have just one or two stanchions when all you milked was one or two cows for the family. And uh, we've had all sorts of things. And through the decades, we've done all sorts of different things. Dad, for a few years there, raised commercially like peas when there used to be a, a processing plant in Cobb and we raised some sweet corn. And then in the 1980s, uh, during some of that downturn in the farming economy, uh, mom and dad started diversifying and getting into raising um, vegetables. And so I'm the youngest of four. And so it was something that my uh, siblings could do. Us kids could all uh, go out and participate in. 
and we started uh, raising vegetables and doing and going to farmers markets way, way before it is the crazy trend that it is now. I mean, you're talking like 1986, 1987, when Dad was doing some of this. Um, fast forward up to like mid 1990s, 1994, 95. Dad was also farming full time along with this. At that point, he was um, had a farrow to finish hog operation, and then he was raising some beef cattle and then and farming um, several hundred acres at the time. And uh, he decided to get out, sell the animals, get out of farming full time. Uh, by that point, um, my older siblings, they had decided that taking a job at Hardee's or A&W in town uh, was much easier than picking vegetables. And so they got out of the vegetable uh, business. And at that point, I was still, uh, gosh, uh, I would have been maybe 12 or 13. So we sort of stopped raising some of the vegetables in that for a while. But I picked up an interest in that when I was probably 14, 15 of still raising a few of the bigger crops, uh, vegetable crops that would have been sweet corn and pumpkins. And so just like, I mean, this time of year, I don't know when this is going to publish, but it's it's early August. And, you know, right now, I think there's kids outside here on the square in Lancaster uh, selling sweet corn. And you see these roadside stands. We've got a lot of Amish and that that sell sweet corn now. But that's actually where I got my start with selling selling sweet corn, actually right in front of this building here on the square in Lancaster. Um, I started doing that when I was 14 or 15. I would go out and pick the corn and had a grandpa that would uh, bring me into town and uh, after I'd pick the corn in the morning and I'd sell it and we'd go back out to the farm and I'd get up the next morning and pick again. And, and, uh, I did that through most of high school. The other thing, grandma and grandpa lived right near the hospital in Lancaster, which if you know anything about that, it's right on the main drive, uh, highway in Lancaster. And my grandparents had this, uh, great, big, beautiful, uh, yellow house that sat right on the main street in Lancaster and had all this traffic and mom and dad had started selling pumpkins there on grandma's front yard. And that's kind of how I say I got my start into the pumpkin business as I started out selling pumpkins in my grandma's front yard. And I did that through high school as just a sort of a sideline project. And uh, then after I graduated high school in 2001, uh, I started to see this sort of ag tourism thing kind of taking off. And I thought, well, maybe instead of me picking the pumpkins and bringing them into town, if I could bring the people out to the farm, which the farm is just three miles outside of Lancaster, bring people out to the farm and give them a wagon ride to the pumpkin patch. It's way easier to set up picking all the pumpkins and bringing them into town if I just take the wagon load of people out to the patch and let them pick the pumpkins and bring them in. And so that's that's how we really started. We did that for, I think, a year or two. And then in 2003, we started with our first corn maze. First, I had to just kind of figure that thing out and get people interested in the idea of, you know, coming out, walking through, paying to walk through a cornfield that, you know, was kind of not so, you know, a lot of people kind of laughed and snickered at me uh, with this idea of this is what I was going to do. And it just, we just kept slowly plugging away and we'd get a few hundred people and I think we'd have a good day. And it just kind of grew from there and there. And after 10 years, we decided to add uh, food. And so, and then right around that point, the people in Dubuque had discovered us. And then our crowds just seemed to just take off. And that has then led to adding the event barn and adding all these other things and these opportunities we've been able to do and grow our business because of the customers. This year, we're very excited. We're actually getting ready to celebrate our uh, 20th fall season. We started in 2003 and we are now in 2023. So we're planning and doing some things that we'll hopefully do to make a little extra fun this fall.
That's amazing, Kyle. I bet the people that may have been snickering a little bit back in 2003 are not laughing. They're probably eating Vesperman ice cream. They're yeah, probably donuts. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Or they drive by in the fall season. And, uh, you know, I, I know I get some old timers in that, that, you know, they said, when you started that, I had no idea. You know, I didn't think you were going to get very far. And then and then now to drive by on a Saturday afternoon and see the field, the parking lot there that we've that we have in grass next to the event barn that when it's full, when it's full, full, it's 400 cars. Uh, he says, it's just absolutely unbelievable to see what you've done. Well, that whole experience, you know, not everybody has a pumpkin patch in their backyard. You grew up there, but many others want that. Let me go pick it. Let me have a cider donut. Yep. It takes a purchase from being a purchase into a whole experience. And that resonates with many, many people. So tell me, Kyle, if you could go back um, 20 years, if someone else is thinking of starting their own ag business, um, agro-tourism, whether it's a farm stand or some more developed experience, two or three tips, anything that you think, oh my gosh, I wish I would have. Uh, so I guess don't, don't be afraid to try stuff. I, I think the biggest thing is after something has happened, whether it's a success or a failure, and I have way more failures than I do successes, um, you need to really evaluate why it failed. Maybe the timing was wrong. Maybe the offering was wrong. Uh, may, maybe you're just ahead of your time on on your ideas because the crowd just wasn't big enough yet. You know, there are things that we do now that I'll tell the staff and I'm like, yeah, I, you know, we tried that in 20, 2011, but in 2011, we might've only been getting, you know, three or 400 people. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do it there. Whereas now on a good weekend, we might, we might see upwards of 3000 people. And now that, that idea now makes sense that didn't make sense back then, or just also the market has just changed and what people are looking for and what they, what they like has changed. And, and, you know, it's just, I can't ever, I can't tell you what's going to work or not going to work. Not every idea is a good idea. Not every idea should be tried, but there's plenty of times where if I'm kind of not so sure on it, but I got maybe a gut feeling that it might work. I'll say, well, we'll try it and see what happens. If you're afraid to try something, I think just evaluate how much is this going to hurt me if this fails? You know, if I, if I spend two or $3,000 on this idea, is that going to hurt me? And in a lot of years when I was much smaller, yes, that, that money would have really hurt me. You know, now we've, we've been fortunate where we can try some of these ideas and maybe spend a little bit more on things to see what happens. That all comes with time, you know? And I think when you're starting out, try things, evaluate your ideas and just make sure whatever you're doing, that it's a calculated risk that you can keep going uh, if it does fail. And uh, there's a lot of things that I do that if, if it's even a break, even like if we try this idea out and it's a break, even I'm like, that's sometimes that's a success because that might lead to something bigger. It sounds like you've tried many things. Some things are work. Some things will work in, in due time. What would you say is your greatest surprise? I mean, you've tried many different things. You continue to evolve. Any surprises along the way of things that were wildly successful or a huge bust? Well, I'll tell you an ice cream. Okay. Right now we, um, we make a, a frozen lemonade non-dairy option and they would come to the ice cream trucks in 2021, 2020, 2022. And they were at, well, actually 2020 and 2021. They were asking about like, do you have a non-dairy option? And no. And because it's ice cream and we just try and make like really good basic ice cream flavors. And if you don't have the dairy in the ice cream, you don't really have ice cream. 
And but people kept asking, kept asking. So there in the winter of 2021, we we just started looking through some of the recipe books and things, and we came up with a with a strawberry lemon ice uh, sort of dessert, which I thought like, okay, it's not ice cream, but it's going to be an option for those people that come to the window and want non-dairy. And so I thought maybe we'll sell a few hundred of these. We, we make thousands and thousands of those little cups of this strawberry lemonade that I never would have ever thought we were going to sell that many. It turns out that there's actually a pretty big interest in, in buying it. Interesting. And listening to a customer and, and giving it a test and now look yep. where it is. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. Kyle, as you've built the business, especially the, the ag tourism component of it, how do you reach your audience? Word of mouth is there. You've got a great reputation, but how do you reach new people? What, what tactics would you recommend for other businesses to reach out and draw people into their business? Not exactly sure here in these last like 24 months or 18 months or so. We spent a lot of time in the early days of building like a Facebook audience. Um, we don't quite have nearly as many Instagram followers. We were utilizing some of that social media. We were using that and getting, you know, just tremendous amounts of success that way. You know, Apple went through and made some some changes to their privacy algorithms, which is fine, but it, it makes it harder for Facebook and some of those social media sites to get more of our reach that way. Uh, through paid and unpaid, I mean, we've we've used a lot of paid advertising on those sites for years to help reach people. We'll we'll do some of that again here this fall, but it's it's been tricky because you can look at all the Instagram data and the and the Facebook data, and that the reach seems to be dropping with with some of that stuff. We're still finding it to be very effective. It's just we're constantly evaluating what worked uh, six months ago or two years ago or four years ago. Some of that stuff does still work, maybe not as effectively. Some of it doesn't work at all. But you just just got to keep constantly evaluating things and be willing to try new things. We've done print, we've done billboards, we've done. I've tried a little bit of everything. I I think you know word of mouth is very very helpful and and with word of mouth, but you've got to have something that people are willing to talk about. So, but that's just because we, we do all these things and you have such a great experience and people enjoy, you know, what, what you offer to your customers is so good and so wonderful uh, that other people are willing to talk about it for you. And that goes a lot farther than, than businesses realize. You come out to the farm and I don't know if you've got kids or if you've taken any pictures at the farm we were actually just, just discussing this an hour ago with some of my staff about like the the how tall this fall where we've got families that hunt that down and they want those pictures or in some of our photo ops on the farm we make sure that we've got um you know our name on a sign or a billboard behind where people take a lot of photos and we actually go out as staff too and if we see a family trying to you know do the selfie thing with one hand we'll stop and offer to take a picture for them and then I kind of train my staff when you take a picture to frame it where you get a nice family picture, but then make sure you also get our our Vesperman Farm sign in there behind it. And generally, those nice photos that are taken by somebody else, those are the ones that those people post to social media about how great their afternoon was. So then that sort of stuff goes, you know, quite a ways, you know, and also don't be afraid. I'll tell you, like with my ice cream, my strategy when I started ice cream, I, I said I could have ran thousands and thousands of dollars worth of ads trying to explain how good our ice cream was, or I could just given away thousands of dollars of ice cream for people to try. And so that's what we actually ended up doing in the summer of 2019. Yeah, 2019. I actually, I do quite a bit of work with People State Bank and they've got branches in Keeler, Lancaster, Mount Hope. 
Prairie du Chien, all around. And I said, hey, can I just go to your parking lots and just give away ice cream to your workers and your your people that come through and your your customers and that? And we, at that time, used some of our social media, too, to reach out and say, hey, we're making ice cream. We're going to be at People State Bank in Dickeyville from this hour to this hour. People were showing up and wanted to try the ice cream. And then word started to spread how good it was. And I didn't know how I was I was going to make ice cream and I was going to sell it in the farm during the fall. After that, I had no idea what else I was going to do with the ice cream. I hadn't figured out that idea beyond that. What came from that idea of just trying to promote our ice cream was we were discovering that people were coming to the Lancaster People State Bank and then coming to the Bloomington People State Bank and the oh, Fenmore oh, oh, oh. One. You're in groupies. The same people were following us around. And so I thought, and I was doing this with a trailer and my van and uh, and a freezer and I thought, you know, I had staff that I'm like, staff were like, we are not going to drive your trailer and van everywhere and sell ice cream. So, well, what if I got a truck that we could put ice cream freezers in and just go around and sell ice cream? That's where the idea for the first uh, ice cream truck came from. So in the fall of 2019, I was after the fall season closed, I was looking for a truck which I found and then spent that winter transforming that into the first ice cream truck. And that's that's how the ice cream trucks really came about. And the ice yeah. cream trucks, they're just like so happy looking, like even before I have the great ice cream, just like looking at this happy ice cream truck is already a treat. Yep. When I designed them, I wanted something that would be attention grabbing and fun and clean and nice and looking, you know, looking good and we make sure everybody's, you know, got nice hats and has a nice friendly smile and a nice, wonderful attitude. And, you know, that all goes into your whole, not only is the ice cream great, but all of those other things that all goes into your whole experience. It's sort of like, look at Quick Trip. What do we all love about Quick Trips? We love their clean stores, their friendly staff, you know, their product is good and consistent too. And, you know, just all those things. It isn't just the product. We know the bathrooms are going to be clean. We know the stores are well lit. We know that their equipment is well taken care of. We know that the, the parking lot's nice. I mean, that stuff all matters. Right. Absolutely. And finding good partners to work with, like your work with People State Bank. They're in yep. so many communities. And and then, you know, you kind of marry ice cream and, and People yep. State Bank locations. And I love that you have ice cream groupies that like track you. And Kyle, I think I could probably talk to you probably another hour about just yep. staffing alone because you're right. It's so important. I mean, you could have a great product, but if you can't deliver it at a consistent high quality, yep. you know, there's a tarnish yep. mark and you don't really yep. want that when you've worked that hard. It's more than just the product that, I mean, the product needs to be good, but the experience that, and it's, there's a lot of those little things that, that when you see it done really well, it seems so effortlessly. Um, but behind the scenes, a lot of details that we're paying attention to to make sure that our guests and people that come to our farm and are so gracious and willing to spend money with us that we give them a wonderful experience, not only just a wonderful product. Right. And I'll also say, and maybe this is just a given, but your website is beautiful and it's well done. You've invested in logos that are unique and fresh and yet really help tell part of the story. We rarely get phone calls of people asking for information because we're updating the website. I mean, nowadays with, with basic Weebly and things like that, like you can go on and you'll see tonight that the, uh, you know, trucks are, you know, in Dubuque or in Platteville at Music in the Park. And then tomorrow or the next day, that'll be disappeared. And the next dates will be up. You know, the information is current and we keep constantly updating it and, you know, making information easy for people to find. And there's a whole lot of things that go into just to making everything happen. 
Right. It's sort of like that old uh, phrase, you know, the duck looks very calm on the top of the water, but but below the water, it's paddling like heck yeah. just to keep it everything moving in the right direction. Any final tip you have? Just one tip on how do you keep a great team or how do you find great people? Um, well, I think it goes back to, I've cultivated a good culture of having some managers that are great to work with. And we're getting ready to hire uh, my staff in here in the fall balloon up to 85 people. In this day and age, it's being flexible, there are times, yes, you have to absolutely be here, but I also try and hire enough kids and enough part-time staff so that we can have some flexibility in what we're doing. When, when I hire kids, I don't always shy away from the ones that are super busy if they're busy in other things, but they really want to work because generally the, the ones that are active and doing things are generally the good ones because they are they're wanting to be in band and wanting to be in sports and wanting to do this stuff and, and also want to you know have a job and make some money and and, you know, they're active, you know, in math and in the play and things like that. And so those are really some great kids. If you find really good employees, work with them to make sure you can keep them around and don't always be like, it's my way or the highway, you know, and, but I think it, it really comes down to having a good culture of it being a fun place to work that like, yes, we can laugh and joke around, but then when it's time to work, we, we all button down and we work and we take everything seriously. And uh, we attract a lot of good employees. We, we pay our kids very well starting wage for me is $13 an hour. So know that the ice cream scooper that you're buying your ice cream from is getting paid at least $13 an hour. Attracting the good, a good seasonal employee, I just find that it helps to, you know, pay them a decent wage to show them the respect that you want them there to work. Absolutely. And then they share their respect down the line. So yeah. And generally those kids and, and people that are good workers, they generally hang out with other people that are good workers too. And so you start building a reputation of like, well, Vesperman Farms is fun to work at and it's a good place to work. And I enjoy working there. And they generally, like I said, people generally know other people that are good workers. And so that's how you kind of build a culture or one of one of many things of building a culture, but it's that's part of it. Well, we've had the treat of talking with Kyle Vesperman of Vesperman Farms. So be sure to check our show notes at pbii.org slash driftlessmakers for a link to the vespermanfarms.com website, as well as a transcript of today's conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a review where possible and follow us on social media or share podcasts with your colleagues or other fellow entrepreneurs. If we're lucky, we'll keep our fingers crossed that we might see the Vesperman ice cream truck at this fall's Maker's Market, September 27th, if we can pull it away from its other duties. September is very hard for us. I know. <laughs> we might just have to buy our own ice cream and become junior Vesperman farm uh, ice cream distributors. All my high school kids go back to school then, and uh, it becomes hard for us, and the fall season is open then. Yeah, but the, sorry I interrupted your, your outro. <laughs> <laughs> That's no worries. It's been a treat to talk to you, Kyle. Please visit Vesperman Farms. It's a star in the Grant County region, and it's really taking agriculture and tourism and really showcasing the beautiful Driftless area. So thank you for your time again today, Kyle. I, I look forward to future conversations with you. Too, me too. And thank you for the kind words. We always appreciate that. The Driftless Makers Podcast is hosted by Kate Colziol with the Platteville Business Incubator with sponsorship from the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation and Prosperity Southwest. We work closely in conjunction with our partners at Wibbick and SBDC and the Idea Hub. You can learn more about Driftless Area Entrepreneurship and the Platteville Business Incubator by visiting pbii.org.